Domestic abuse, school shootings, mass killings, ethno-political conflict, genocide, terrorism and war. Peace psychology is the study of the mental processes that lead to conflict and how that knowledge can be used in a positive way. In this series, Peace in Mind, we'll be exploring the breadth of peace and conflict psychology. So conflict and peace are, yeah, definitely not to be associated with badness and goodness, evil and good. <laughs> I'm Kim Stewart. And I'm Linda Rose. We're your hosts for this series. Peace in Mind is produced in the studios of 4EB Brisbane with the help of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Psychologists for Peace, an interest group of the Australian Psychological Society. Today on Peace in Mind, we consider forgiveness. Mahatma Gandhi once said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. Indeed, researchers have only recently begun to delve into the nature of forgiveness. And one of the foremost experts in the field is Dr. Eleanor Wertheim from La Trobe University in Melbourne, who we talk to today. Certainly we know that the long-term effects of holding on to anger for long periods of time can interfere with your physical well-being, certainly your emotional well-being, and it can interfere with your relationships with other people. Yeah. So the more angry you are towards the other, the more you hold grudges, the more that can interfere with relationships and mean you're not able to move forward and you lose relationships or you're just in unpleasant and unsatisfactory relationships. But first, let's hear what that great advocate of forgiveness, the Dalai Lama, has to say about forgiving. We have to do justice, but without anger, without hatred. That's very possible. Oppo totally oppose their wrongdoing, but without anger, without hatred. I think if anger towards action is okay, not towards the person, tolerance is actually a sign of strength. Forgiveness is a process, and sometimes it's also a decision, that happens after we feel that we've been hurt by others. Somebody has done something that we feel is really unfair or very hurtful. And so forgiveness involves taking a look at whether we're able to set that aside and be able to move forward rather than holding on to it with anger, vengeful motivations, and so on. So often with forgiveness, people think of it as transforming negative emotions and thoughts and actions uh, into more positive ones like benevolence and letting it go. Does forgiveness always mean kind-heartedness towards the person who harmed you? Some people say you just need to be able to let go of the anger of thinking negative thoughts and making them a bad person and then move towards stopping that and feeling more neutral. Uh, other people feel that in order to have full forgiveness come about, then you'd be feeling more compassionate or benevolent towards the other person. Unforgiveness sometimes is considered the opposite, and that's holding grudges, feeling angry, walking around, feeling like somebody has ruined your life, and so on. And so unforgiveness is a really heightened sort of state of emotional uh, anger and, and unpleasantness. And so if we're walking around with that, then there may be uh, effects on us. For example, a study was done in a laboratory where they asked people to sort of ruminate or think about an angry and hurtful thing versus when people were thinking forgiving thoughts. And what they found was that 
as people ruminated or were unforgiving, their blood pressure went up and all their cardiovascular system went up. And so it was suggested that it really can be more damaging in the long term if we're holding on to those sorts of grievances and grudges from the past. Mm. And also emotionally, it just sometimes feels not as good to be angry towards others. We've done quite a bit of work looking at what sort of factors predict whether somebody's going to forgive or not. And we started by looking at interviews. So we interviewed a group of people from the community and asked them to think about a time when did someone do something hurtful or wrong and you didn't forgive them. And we asked them what stopped you from forgiving and we asked them what would have helped you to forgive them or what would have led you to forgive. And then we also asked, what, think of a time when somebody did something hurtful and you did forgive them and what was the reasons why you forgave them and what would have stopped you. So we've come up with a range of different factors that seem to be affecting whether people forgive or not. Um, and some of them have to do with specifics of the offense and the offender. Uh, and some of them have to do with the injured party and, and their own characteristics. And some have to do with other kinds of uh, events that may happen uh, in the environment or in the world. So in terms of what offense or offender-related characteristics seem to make a difference, um, if somebody who's done something hurtful seems to have done it intentionally, it wasn't that it just happened, and but it seems to be personal, it was intentional, that makes it harder for people to forgive. If you think that it's likely the person is going to do it again, that also makes it harder to forgive. However, if you believe that the offender didn't really do it personally, and they're unlikely to repeat it, then it'll be easier to forgive them. There are also things about the way you view the implications of forgiving, and so that includes whether you think if you forgave the person, it would be like condoning what they did or making the wrong seem unimportant. And so some of the things have to do with how you think about forgiveness and whether you, how you define it. And so people who think that forgiving means letting them get away with it or minimizing the hurt um, will often not want to forgive that person. And if you believe that the, other offend the offender will see it that way, it's harder to forgive them as well. You're listening to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network. Today we are looking at the often troublesome topic of forgiveness and speaking with Dr. Eleanor Wertheim from La Trobe University in Melbourne. When we talk about forgiving a person for something they've done, it is often assumed forgiveness means that the action which hurt us is okay or the hurt caused is less important. Eleanor stresses this is not the case. Instead, it just means somebody did something really wrong and bad and hurtful, and we're willing to forgive the person, not the offense, but the person who did it, nonetheless, because of their humanity and the human being that we see in front of us. If we value the relationship with the other person, we're more likely to forgive them. So sometimes when people were describing workplace examples with people who would sabotage them in work and somehow, somehow that was often harder to forgive than something in a relationship where, the, where you really had the relationship mean something to you and then you're willing to work harder on it. Another thing that's really important is what the offender does after they've done the hurtful act. So if people apologize, if the offender apologizes, if they try to make up for what they did, if they seem remorseful, it's much easier to forgive than if they don't do that. So it's a lesson for all of us about when we do wrongful acts to others, about 
how important it is for us to really acknowledge what we did and and apologize and try to make up for it and compensate for it in, in some ways and take action so it doesn't happen again. There are also the factors related to the injured party themselves. And so, for example, we found that people who are more anxious and more prone to see danger in situations um, sometimes are more worried that it'll happen again. And so there may be some safety concerns in people who feel that, uh, you know, that, that life out there is somewhat dangerous. And so people who come in with that sort of approach may find it harder to forgive sometimes uh, because it does seem more like a more dangerous thing to do. Um, people who are more empathetic and able to take the perspective of other people sometimes find it a bit easier to forgive as well. Because part of forgiving often is trying to think about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. What was it like for them? What was happening for them that might have driven that person to do these harmful actions? And so if we can put ourselves a bit more in their shoes, really from the other person's point of view, the, the offender's point of view about what was happening for them. Why did they feel it was necessary to do this or that they did it and they didn't feel much control about it? What was behind that? Mm. And so by putting ourselves in their shoes, sometimes it helps us to forgive. Dr. Wertheim has developed a tool which can be used to predict who will forgive in specific situations. It asks questions such as, did the offender apologize? Were they remorseful? Do you value the relationship still? Did the offender do it intentionally? And is it likely they'll do it again? We've compiled all those and we've used those to predict who's more likely to forgive. And then we usually add to that um, some other measures which are more personality measures like your general um, trust of other people, uh, your um, general concerns about danger situations, um, your general empathizing and being able to take the perspective of other people and manage your own emotions as well and regulate your emotions. I guess that latter part is also part of it that we've done with some research at looking at holding grudges sometimes involves not being able to kind of repair when you're feeling angry or upset or hurt. And so people who are able to repair their own emotions and move from dwelling on the hurtful circumstances and then start thinking, okay, I'm going to allow myself to calm down, to just be present in the moment and, and centered in the moment or to um, think in a way that's going to be helping me to actually feel calmer about the situation, uh, they're more able to forgive. The field of forgiveness is actually growing. Uh, quite a bit in the last few decades and there are researchers around the world that are starting to look at forgiveness and what helps facilitate forgiveness and what stands in the way of forgiveness so it's a really exciting area of research and there are different programs that people are coming up with now which are helping people to who are holding grudges about particular conflicts or in, uh, in particular um, hurtful offenses and helping to get beyond that mm -hmm. and so I think that's a really exciting thing that's happening now that we're starting to develop better processes and um, psychoeducational programs for people who want to become more forgiving or who want to forgive a, a particular offense and I think that's a great direction that we're going in as a research field. Professor Wertheim has written a book, Skills for Resolving Conflict. The book provides a detailed description of how to resolve conflicts using a cooperative problem-solving approach in both interpersonal and workplace settings. It guides readers through a step-by-step -step process 
starting with basic concepts and skills and moving on to more advanced ones. Exercises are included to encourage the application of the concepts to real-life situations. There is also a demonstrative DVD designed specifically for schools. You're listening to Peace in Mind. to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network. The song you just heard was called Racial Discrimination by Mop and the Dropouts. 
We apologise for the laws and policies of successive parliaments and governments that have inflicted profound grief, suffering and loss on these our fellow Australians. We apologise especially for the removal of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children from their families, their communities and their country. Today on Peace in Mind we've been looking at forgiveness. We also spoke to Catherine Greenaway from the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, who's currently working at the University of Queensland. Catherine studies on forgiveness and reconciliation between white Australians and Aboriginal Australians gave up some surprising results. This was work that I did a number of years ago with um, my uh, then supervisor, Winifred Lewis. Um, and we were very interested in uh, how different identities play a role in shaping the way that people understand conflict with other groups. So uh, in that research, we looked at the human identity specifically, how people consider their humanity and the role that that plays in um, how they feel about perpetrating harm against other groups, but also having harm perpetrated against their own groups. So in that research, we uh, drew heavily on uh, a theoretical perspective that's known as the common in-group identity model, which essentially says that uh, if you have two conflicting groups that are very opposite in terms of their goals or um, their relationships with one another, if you can find a what's called a superordinate category that they both belong to, that they both identify with, then they will have more positive attitudes towards one another because they no longer see each other as part of separate groups, they see each other as part of one unifying group. Um, now, obviously, in the context of these kinds of intergroup uh, conflicts that I study, uh, it's very difficult to find those kinds of uh, overarching connecting groups, but one is um, shared humanity. We're all human. And uh, sort of anecdotally, people typically think that uh, if we just focus on our shared humanity, we all should be able to get along. And in fact, in this research, what we did was we uh, had white Australians and Indigenous Australians think about the stolen generations and we couched um, that conflict in terms of either something white Australians did to Indigenous Australians, so that's kind of an intergroup frame, or as something humans did to other humans. And we might expect um, just generally from what we uh, know about humanity that thinking about it as something humans did to other humans would result in more remorse, um, for the harm doing, um, feeling uh, worse, less expectations of forgiveness, greater empathy on behalf of white Australians for Indigenous Australians. And in fact, we found the opposite. So explaining the stolen generations as something humans did to other humans resulted in more negative attitudes um, on behalf of white Australians towards Indigenous Australians. Kazza's research defies the common sense view that appealing to our shared humanity would increase the compassion white Australians have towards Aboriginal Australians. How does she explain this outcome? In the context of these um, intergroup conflicts, uh, we're very motivated to think about our own group as positive, as well-meaning, well-intentioned. And so when groups reflect on something that their uh, group, uh, some harm that their group perpetrated against another, they're very keen to catch that in, in a broader context of, you know, we meant well or, or we didn't really mean harm and certainly we don't mean harm now. And what we think uh, happened in this research is that by saying the stolen generations is something humans did to other humans, it enabled white Australians to step back 
from that perpetrator role and say, well, it wasn't, it wasn't us. It's everyone. It's just human nature to act negatively towards other groups. It always happens. And so it, it wasn't really us. And certainly we found evidence that when we uh, explained it in those terms as just something humans did to other humans, white Australians felt as though uh, their group was more well-intentioned uh, in general when they uh, perpetrated the stolen generations and that it was um, something that's unique, uh, not to their group, but to humans in general. Can you tell us what impact appealing to shared humanity had on white Australians' expectations that they would be forgiven? It certainly um, led white Australians to expect more forgiveness from uh, Indigenous Australians, we think, because um, it... Uh, again, was something that all humans do. So it wasn't our group necessarily um, doing these bad things. It's just something that, that humans do. You can't hold us responsible for what we did. Um, and so this was the kind of mentality that went into that um, uh, greater expectations of forgiveness. We actually also in that study found that um, white Australians expressed less empathy for the suffering of Indigenous Australians during the um, uh, the stolen generations as well. Given the national emphasis on the government's need to apologise for the stolen generations, we asked Catherine what benefits there would be for Aborigines to forgive. The literature on forgiveness suggests that it is a positive state to forgive rather than hold on to resentment. Um, but put in a broader intergroup context, if white Australians are expecting forgiveness and Indigenous Australians are offering it, that might seem like a great recipe for reconciliation, but it also can lead to a situation where victim groups don't receive um, uh, the recognition for their suffering, they don't receive an official apology for their suffering, um, and people kind of sweep these things under the carpet, you know, we'll just forget about that now, and it kind of can deny victims that sense of catharsis that they get from having their suffering being recognised and understood by perpetrator groups. You're listening to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network.
just heard a song called Disco Kids from the compilation Western Desert Mob, which was put together by Monkey Mark during workshops he did with kids from Kintor and Papanya in the Northern Territory. Currently, we're speaking with Catherine Greenaway about research she did regarding forgiveness and reconciliation between white Australians and Aborigines. We really thought for a long time that emphasising our shared humanity would be the solution to a lot of different conflicts. We now understand that that effect is much more nuanced um, than we first expected. I think that the key um, to moving forward in any kind of reconciliation is very open dialogue between perpetrator groups and victim groups to be able to come to an understanding of what happened, why that happened, what the effects were, for each party to be heard, um, to have a voice in that dialogue and to be acknowledged as um, uh, having something important to say and having uh, feelings about that that are, you know, very real and, and, and important, but um, that also deserve to be heard. And then taking all of that positive dialogue and then being able to move on together in an agreed way towards a reconciliation um, plan. Um, that's obviously a very idealistic perspective, but it's one that I hope ultimately um, will happen in Australia. I guess there's a level at which um, white Australians don't want to go through the actual pain of admitting that their ancestors did bad things and being forgiven seems so easy in, in contrast to actually hearing the pain of the victim. Absolutely, and that's why people are so motivated to be forgiven and, and to say it happened so long ago, let's just forget about it, let's focus on the here and now. But of course an understanding of the past is really integral to understanding current intergroup relations and also being able to move forward to a positive future and so it's this general sense of wanting to feel good about our group and our um, current circumstances that makes people not really want to focus on those negative things that happened in the past but it's very important to also remember and reflect on those uh, so that they don't happen again in the future. That's right, to learn from people's ideas of how things should be. Absolutely, I mean, we need to understand conflict in order to be able to solve it. And that's the role of um, researchers in really um, having a, an empirical understanding of the different dynamics that go into conflict. And by having that uh, firm uh, empirical base, we can then understand what interventions are most likely to be effective to actually solving these conflicts. Catherine Greenaway concluding our episode on forgiveness. Next time on Peace in Mind, we look at racism. That's it for this edition of Peace in Mind. Thanks for listening. Peace in Mind is produced for the Community Radio Network with the help of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Psychologists for Peace, an interest group of the Australian Psychological Society. Theme and background music by Jandy Rainbow, unisonicascension.com. Series producers Kim Stewart, Linda Rose and Nathan Renault. You can find out more about the topics we cover by going to facebook.com slash peaceinmindproject.com.